the media are typically seen as makers of consensus and harmony and concordance, all of that. But India is actually a spectacular case of the opposite happening. The Hindus, who are the majority, are being positioned as the victims of historic injustice, and it's the minority that are being presented as their aggressors. The Hindu public is constantly being made to feel beleaguered. They're presented with this external threat, Muslims, against which they're supposed to unite. And in the process, the viewing public is actually led to assent to whatever the political leadership says. Don't look down, but India is on a precipice. The voices of Hindutva, Hindu supremacy, are ascendant, as is intolerance hate speech. It has worked its way through the body politic like a slow-acting poison. The effect on the Muslims targeted has proven toxic, at times deadly. Hate speech proposes violence as a solution, and in India it is pumped out night after night. The country has hundreds of news channels, many of which have monetized conflict. They trade in hyper-Hindu nationalism, xenophobia, name-calling, usually in support of India's ruling party, the BJP, and Prime Minister Narendra Modi. When you say patriotism, you say patriotism is in your heart, then why are you being forced? It's like a gladiatorial fight, evening upon evening. with all its attendant cruelties and the banality of hypnotic entertainment. I think, sir, you are appalling in the way you conduct yourself on television. It's appalling. You're a disgrace. And there's also this, this, this joy that people find in the collective flaying of ideas that are contrarian to establishment or the flaying of an individual or a community. The problem really lies in uh, something called ratings. Newsmakers. When it, the game becomes one of viewership and you are just trying to grab eyeballs. Until she walks in. Watch renowned journalist Navika Kumar. You, anything goes. The intensity of this battle for ratings has made uh, television more and more shrill, to some extent even irresponsible. A very senior panelist described them as banshees because, because of the manner in which they're always wailing. And this kind of dramatized TV seems to work because our very insecure, down-and-out middle class likes to put a face to all its insecurities, to all its fears, to all its anger, its resentment and its hate. And these people give them that, that face, the face of the Muslim.
to understand how India got here and how exceptional and dangerous a moment this is in its history, one has to go back in time. Some years ago, we made a tryst with destiny, and now the time comes when we shall redeem our pledge. In 1947, after almost a century under British colonial rule in South Asia, the country won its independence. Out of the fires of partition, India forged a constitutional commitment to secularism and multiculturalism. Hindus were the majority, but all of India's citizens were to be treated equally under the law. Bit by bit, decade by decade, the BJP has sold more and more Hindus on the idea that their way of life is under siege, that Muslims pose a threat. And the news media, which have been transformed and effectively weaponized, have been crucial to the messaging. The Founding Fathers of India had this vision of the nation uh, which was quite different from Pakistan, a state defined by religion, and they wanted India to be a state for all its citizens. But I think somewhere along the line, secularism or even the idea of democracy, it didn't really percolate down to everyone in India to a point that today these concepts perhaps only resonate with an elite. And the BJP and its Hindutva network have been pushing at this issue, this crisis of Hindu identity for a very long time. What's happened simultaneously is a remarkable shift in television news and the content that you see on the news today. This is Doordarshan News. Good evening and welcome. The news culture for a very long time has been staid and boring. So the idea that you could actually be educated by what these voices on the air are saying is very new. But funnily enough, it's actually welcomed. You have a Hindu community that the media are doing their very best to try and unite. How do they do that? Well, firstly, by positioning the sense of an external enemy right, against whom then you're all supposed to be united. Most importantly, you don't have to look inside and ask, what actually unites all of us Hindus together? So here you have these anchors telling people what they should think, whom they should approve of, and whom they should disapprove of. And it kind of works. Narendra Modi will be India's next Prime Minister. And in his victory speech, he described himself as Mazdoor number one committing himself to the service of the people. What's really changed since the BJP came to power is that you have anchors who've taken quite committed hyper-partisan positions. Uh, they've decided essentially to shill for the government and tarnished any other view as anti-national. Muslims today are told their beliefs, what they eat, how they dress, who they fall in love with, all of it is a problem or can be a potential problem or a crime. And so for Muslim news consumers, it's a pretty bleak scenario. You would want to tune out or disengage. In some ways, it's the news outlets that have disengaged from the stories that are hitting people the hardest. India's agricultural sector, responsible for roughly 20% of its GDP, is in turmoil. Its healthcare sector, exposed by COVID-19, is in critical condition. And the unemployment rate is approaching 8%.
That's more than 100 million people without work. Yet, when the online outlet News Laundry analyzed debates across seven major news channels earlier this year, it found that the number of programs tackling economic problems were minimal. Communal issues, Hindu versus Muslim debates, controversies dominate the output. And certain terms get thrown in, like jihad, and then applied to whatever grievances Indians may have. There is this whole discourse of jihad, which loosely references the global war on terror यहाँ पर एक बड़ा सवाल ये भी है कि क्या लव जिहाद के जरिए देश की सामाजिक संरचना को ध्वस्त करने की साजिश हो रही है लव जिहाद टेकिंग ऑफ हिंदू वेमेन एंड एंड दिस होल सेंस ऑफ ऑनर बिकॉज एवरी कम्युनिटीज ऑनर सीम्स टू रेस्ट इन देर वेमेन जमीन जिहाद या लैंड जिहाद का मुद्दा एक बार फिर से गर्मा गया है उत्तराखंड की डेमोग्राफी बदलने की कोशिश की जा रही है स्थानीय लोगों को ऐसा लग रहा है land jihad sort of attacks the idea that muslims should be buying land or muslims should be building houses this is the kind of discourse that this ecosystem proliferates the government the executive with the help of the cheerleaders has marked out not just muslims but but dalits the tribals and people who are generally dissenters and their labels that describe them देश विरोधी देश विरोधीजमेंटिनेशनलिज्मीजमेंटिनेशनलिज्मीजमेंटिनेशनलिज्मीजमेंटिनेशनलिज्मीजमेंटिनेशनलिज्मीजमेंटिनेशनलिज्म
And as you rightly said, it's not a small minority. I mean, the word minority over here basically means that they are lesser in numbers, but they are not uh, living on the margins. It's not only a comment on, on the Muslims or uh, a comment on the minorities. Some awful stuff is said about Hindus too. I would not sort of get all worked up about it, but it is worrisome. Worrisome, but not worth getting worked up about. That kind of thinking alarms experts in the history of genocide, like Gregory Stanton. Five years before the Rwandan genocide of 1994, he warned the authorities there that their country was in a dangerous place. Stanton was ignored. The rhetoric kept coming from the government side and some hateful voices in the Rwandan media, one radio station in particular that broadcast calls for murder. Hundreds of thousands were then slaughtered. Stanton stresses that acts of genocide don't come out of nowhere. They don't just happen. They are the catastrophic culmination of a process. And what India is going through right now, according to Stanton, fits with the pattern. The media play a huge role in uh, creating the polarization in a society that is necessary for genocide. They do this through dehumanizing the targeted group, accusing them of being uh, a cancer in the society or a danger to the society, traitors to the society. <laughs> In Rwanda, you had uh, the hate radio and television and newspapers claiming that the Tutsis were cockroaches, for example. So this kind of dehumanization is uh, something you find very frequently before a genocide happens. We have the Indian Home Minister, for instance, Shah using words like termites. Well, doesn't that sound familiar when you study the Rwandan genocide? Every genocide depends on two forces. It depends on popular beliefs that include prejudices against certain groups, and then it also requires leadership. Leadership that profits from that hatred and that uses it to build up its own power. We see both in India today. As hate and division have spread, Prime Minister Modi has stayed mostly silent, showing the kind of discipline some of his officials clearly lack. Anurag Thakur was a junior minister in 2020 when he spoke at this BJP election rally. That got him barred from campaigning by India's Electoral Commission for a total of three days. One year later, the Prime Minister actually promoted Thakur. He's now India's Minister of Information and Broadcasting. When asked by a reporter if his speech that day helped set off the intercommunal violence that followed in New Delhi, this was his response. The video of that speech is still online, there for all to see. 
if you go back and look at the unedited footage the minister was actually asking people to not raise such a slogan no footage no evidence exists of the minister raising that slogan but just because some mention of it came into media that became the truth and that truth got further amplified it's true that anurag thakur didn't say shoot the traitors um but he was basically leading a chant so i wouldn't read that as him trying to stop the crowd you could say he was egging them on and even if the media is so corrupt as to edit something and completely put it out of context the election commission of india they would have seen the video and they would have found something wrong with it to take that action that they did take against him we asked for an interview with anurag thakur but got no response recently belatedly the government has had a rethink and thakur has reportedly met with media owners and tv anchors urging them to tone it down but that will have little effect on the poisonous material spreading online where so many indians go to keep informed by people like Yati Narsinghanand, a right-wing Hindu figure. Last year, he helped organize a three-day religious gathering in Haridwar, where Hindus called openly for the killing of Muslims. That video trended for days. all any indian has to do to take part in a celebratory culture of violence is go on youtube or whatsapp they'll find content far more explicit and disturbing than anything they'll see on tv so now we have live streaming of violence you know you have live action news and so forth and that's coming via social media recently we had a policeman beating muslim suspects in custody In this case the policeman was suspended but almost always individual acts of violence simply go unpunished Many Indians aren't actually going to TV for their news in fact a recent Reuters report showed that audiences are going to YouTube primarily followed by WhatsApp and you have all kinds of toxic disinformation being shared on those platforms we have people supposedly religious figures who say some really shocking things then there are even new players to this game who kind of impersonate news anchors you know they'll feed you all kinds of nonsense from a sort of a new studio setup ye log jumme ke namaz ke baad hi pradarshan karte hain aagjani karte hain pathraav karte hain kanoon ko apne haath mein lete hain aur hinduon par hamla karte hain and this stuff gets forwarded and people have no idea what the source of news is we find many instances of violence against former untouchables against muslims who may actually be blameless and what it suggests is that violence is actually popular now there may be a narrative that rationalizes this as you know the administration of justice never mind due process never mind the lack of evidence and there's a shocking truth underneath all of this 
that violence against minorities is actually popular. And that's, that's difficult to digest. Narendra Modi is not camera shy. Hardly a day goes by without his PR team pumping out another video of the Prime Minister amongst his supporters. But Modi has failed to condemn the toxicity online or in the media, which for many Indians makes him an accessory to the hate crimes that follow. This is a Prime Minister who has crafted his image and his message carefully, and his frequent participation in Hindu religious rituals is usually made for TV. India is the second or third largest Muslim country in the world, so it's absolutely crucial that the government be seen to be above religious differences. But what we have is actually the opposite. A gallop towards an increasingly assertive Hindu identity. So we have you know, Prime Minister Modi appearing on television, you know, meditating in a cave, worshipping in Hindu temples. I mean, all of this is really unprecedented. There's this insistence on demonstrating that the government is a pious government, blessed by the saints, carrying out the will of God, and anybody who opposes the government, who's critical of it, is an India hater, and the foreign media, well, they are hating India too, they're against India, and of course, Modi is the chief hero in the story. What are international news outlets like Al Jazeera missing in their coverage of India right now? Well, I would like to see, and, and I'm just being very honest over here, I would like to see Al Jazeera reporting news or reporting events and not being an exclusive channel on Muslim issues in India. So you have to decide what you wish to be. You want to be a news outlet or you want to be an outlet for only the Muslims of India. But even if you wish to be an outlet for only the Muslims of India, I would really want you to go and meet the vast majority of Muslims in India who, who, who face uh, neither deprivation nor do they nurse any grievances. Kanchan Gupta said similar things about the New York Times and the Washington Post, that they also focus too much on Muslim issues, but spend any time watching the channels feeding news to Indians and you'll realize somebody's got to do it. Report on the frightening trajectory that this story is taking, where it may lead. You may be wondering, why aren't we anchoring this broadcast from New Delhi? We tried for months. We applied for visas and were questioned by Indian officials in London, and we have yet to hear back. The Modi government is clearly sensitive about foreign news coverage. But if it was just news outlets on the outside making trouble, why just a few weeks ago would the Editors Guild of India, heads of newspapers and magazines, condemn domestic news channels for targeting vulnerable communities by spewing hatred. And they compared those news channels to that Rwandan radio station, the one that helped pave the way to genocide.
My central fear really is that we're dulling down as citizens. Democracy is not just about free and fair elections, which we in India, we're very good at that. Uh, it's about also making an informed choice as a citizen. Informed by a free and fair media that holds power to account. So when you alter the very role that the media is supposed to be playing, you subvert democracy. And then it doesn't matter if a Muslim is lynched or if a house is bulldozed because you've just been numbed to all of this injustice and you find it quite normal. There are calls for, for our boycott and our extermination, which are getting political currency and social currency and which are being justified as, as just some kind of free speech discourse that we must engage with. This kind of uh, hateful debate day in and day out, it's extremely dramatic because you've, you're forever trying to engage or make sense of, of this, this very repressive discourse. There's always been violence in India. There's always been violence against Dalits, against the, the tribal people, against Muslims, against women. But earlier it was seen as an aberration. Now this kind of violence has moved center stage. It's not happening on the margins. It's in fact constituting the new state. 